So the CDC says now it's safe for us vaccinated people to start taking off our masks and life is back to normal. What if I don't want to do that? What if I don't want to go back to normal? While I love sitting six and a half inches from somebody else at Outback, you know, I'm not sure that I need to. As long as Grubhub and Uber Eats keeps delivering food to your door, you should be fine, right? Yeah. I mean, everything I need has a drive-thru. So what's the point of going in? What other industries do we need to transform so they could become more drive-thru? I already do the like drive-thru, like COVID testing and vaccines and stuff like that. So now you just, you know, drive-thru, get a pacemaker put in, head back home. Hang out whatever body part that needs some work out of your window. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode 224. That is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. And uh, that's now the 224th time I've said that. That, It sure has. And it's the 224th time I've tried to come up with a witty response and (laughs) have not succeeded. Oh, well, here we are getting towards the end of the school year, the beginning of the summer, the uh, swimming pools are open. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, your online and offline experience, but the swimming pool offline for this summer, for sure. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend that is still the best way folks find out about us. And so we appreciate the support and the loyalty over all these years and months. I want to put a couple of plugs in. Touchpoint.health is the website if you surf over there. You'll find out a little bit more about this show, certainly. But also, sign up for the TPS report while you're there. It's a weekly email. comes out every Monday morning. has five articles to start your week, curated by the fine host on the Touchpoint Media Network. And would love if you would uh, sign up for that. And then uh, maybe check out another show on the network. Subscribe to them. Give them a little bit of love. Uh, Certainly appreciate uh, everything that you do. Feedback is wonderful. You can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter and all those kinds of fun places. We're going to pause here for just a quick, quick minute, and uh, we'll be right back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about your experience, anyone's experience, our experience, uh, as it relates to life. (laughs) (laughs) This seems pretty broad. We promise we'll narrow this down. We'll focus at some point. Well, maybe we won't focus at some point. Who knows? But but we want to talk about this idea that, uh, you know, the offline world might in a weird way be less noisy than the online world with new expectations and the kind of the way we participate. What is offline and online? How do they dovetail? How do they work together in, in those types of things? It might be weird for you and I, Reed, being digital people that we are to really say that offline is a, a very valid channel. But, you know, it's interesting that when we look at where we're evolving as an industry, we might want to rush in the post-pandemic stage to just going online because everybody's doing things online. We all went and bought our groceries online and we got our food ordered online and we did everything online. And so that clearly is where the predominant uh, experiences will be in the future. But from my perspective, I just don't think that that's exactly how the world is going to look, even in the post-pandemic phase. Well, I just, I don't think everybody's like, well, I can't wait to get back to normal. I I don't, that's not, we weren't going to. Like, that's not a thing. Like, we need to stop waiting to quote unquote get back to normal. I think it's going to be some hybrid. Certainly, you're going to be able to go eat in a restaurant again. You're going to be able to go to a sporting event. You know, those types of things will happen certainly and and are already. You can go to Kid Rock's Honky Tonk right now in Nashville, for example. (laughs) Because Nashville is wide open. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't have gone pre-pandemic, but that's just me. Um, But in any case, you know, you can go to the Ryman or the Grand Ole Opry or whatever. So like those things are going to happen, but I think there are certain things in place and then a way that we now think about, and certainly this is probably biased to certain parts of the country that you live in, the way that you personally feel, your family feels and functions, and uh, maybe even some other, I guess, influences in your life, like your personal health and things like that. Probably there's going to be some sort of a hybrid here, right? Where um, it won't be a year and a half or two years ago, if somebody got on an airplane and they were wearing a mask, you'd be like, Oh, super. Like they're sick. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Right. That's mm-hmm. why they're wearing a mask. They have the flu or, or whatever. They have some respiratory illness, et cetera. Well, now if somebody got on the plane, even say six months from now, somebody gets on an airplane with you uh, and they're wearing a mask, it's really not going to be weird. You're just gonna be like, Oh, Okay. I mean, to each their own, I don't need one or, what, or whatever, right? I mean, you know, whatever you're thinking in your head, but it's not going to be like, what in the world is that person doing? You know, I think, I think we're just kind of in a, in a unique place where we've start, got to start defining what life is now. And so that kind of gets us to this idea of experience. And to your point, Reed, I think that there is going to be a, a longer period of time than we think where we're going to be transitioning to whatever not to overuse the term, whatever that new normal might be. It certainly is going to involve a lot more of these ways that you can interact with businesses and organizations online, but I don't think it's going to exclusively move in that direction. We have to sway with where where sentiments are going of, of our communities and our people. And But even with the CDC guidelines that came out last week, where they said that in a healthcare setting, you still have to wear a mask. So there's going to be things where we're going to start, we're going to see mask usage, we're going to see cautiousness, we're going to see people 
being a, a little bit more focused on how do we do this in a digital perspective as opposed to the offline perspective. You know, we'll jump in here to this kind of first, actually a study or survey that McKinsey did. And maybe this will kind of set the stage a little bit as we then drill into the more digitally focused piece of the of the uh, conversation. But it's a survey and it, it was with U.S. consumers and kind of their sentiment during the crisis. And I know we've covered a number of these. This is not healthcare specific, but does kind of give a little bit of a baseline of where people's mindsets are. They have some really interesting findings that come out of this. Uh, the first finding they say is that there's just been an overall steady, cautious optimism. Economic optimism has stayed relatively flat since last summer and continued caution about how we go out and start to interact with the world. And I could see that same kind of cautious optimism coming back into the healthcare setting too. I know that we're still lagging behind in many cases in terms of people resuming care, but we're starting to see more and more people looking at like, okay, now it's time to pick back up and maybe address that that ache I've had in my knee this whole time, or I've had this lack of breath, maybe I'll go into the doctor now to find out exactly if there's a clinical reason behind that. Yeah, certainly the elective stuff, uh, like you mentioned, right? You know, the weekend warrior got some joint pain or something like that. So another thing that they say here is that, you know, there's some signs of, of recovery around spending. I think we see it a lot in the consumer space, like in the housing industry, where we've seen some shutdown of supply chain, you know, cars is another good example. There's supply and demand certainly that comes into play. So I'm sure on the heels of a pandemic, we see some artificial inflation about people that had put things off and are now deciding to do it. Uh, and maybe that's some of the reason, you know, because they feel a little more financially secure now, they don't feel like they're going to lose their job, maybe that kind of thing. So things that they didn't do over the last year and a half, pent up demand, I guess. There are some, some signs of recovery there. Time to go get that haircut you've been putting off, right? Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> it's interesting, too, that this study, it was just done a few weeks ago. They say that vaccine is accelerating recovery, which I think we all thought it would. But early signs are pointing to differences in the behavior between consumers who are vaccinated and those who are not. Like, for example, vaccinated people are doing more things out of home, as you would expect, and they're actually spending more money is what this survey is, is alluding to. But they still also caveat that with saying this is early signs. They're not sure if this is an ongoing trend. If you are vaccinated, is that going to also precipitate a quicker return to going back to your doctor, going back to your dentist, going back to you know seeing your therapist, for example? Next thing they point out is the stickiness around digital. People have found that, and we've talked about this with telemedicine for a while, like, you know, people are forced into the equation and turns out they liked it. And so certainly this has been true for retail. You know, we, I know we mentioned curbside pickup a little while ago. That's something I think will stick around. I mean, why? why? No, I don't want to go in the store. Like, why don't I go in the <laughs> store? You know, so I think, you know, for certain people like myself, we already know what we want. You order it online, you go pick it up. You know, if it's something that, you know, can't be delivered and that's certainly a case as well. But they do talk about that, that that will, you know, continue to be a behavior. And this will be something that restaurants, retail establishments, et cetera, and I don't think healthcare is exempt from this, you know, are going to have to continue with. So the telemedicine piece the curbside testing or stay in your car testing or, or what have you drive through medical care, some of the retail type stuff. You know, in the survey, it's interesting. They call out digital health and wellness tools specifically. 
And they say that it now has an over 10% penetration in the U.S. customer marketplace. Not a big percentage, but still, they say that 70 to 80% of the people surveyed intend to continue past COVID-19 using these digital tools. Here's another one that I found to be really interesting, Reed, is that there's a rebalancing of the home body economy, they call it, where consumers have made investments in their home life and they want to continue. So we see that in not only people wanting to continue to work out of their home or hybrid working, also home gyms. I, 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 they didn't call it out in the study, but I'm just wondering how many of those people actually doubled down and invested in faster internet. Oh, yeah. Quicker connections, because there allows you a new opportunity to kind of go from, as we as an industry, to kind of connect with people more through digital health tools. Certainly people are doubling down on that because I, I know right before COVID, in December of 19, we, we got a Peloton. Um, I had a buddy that ordered one kind of in the height of the pandemic. And where it took us, I don't know, three to five days to get ours, it took him like eight weeks or 10 weeks or something like that, right? Because people were uh, trying to get home workout equipment was something that was really hard to come by. Swing sets, playscapes, basketball goals, trampolines, and bikes almost couldn't find them. I do think, you know, we continue to see some of that, that doubling down. And, you know, you wonder how much of that has now become a habit. So what does that mean for these hospitals that have wellness centers? Or cardiac rehab type stuff where we're prescribing stuff people do at home and with online monitoring and things like that. Do we need the same real estate that we've had historically? I don't know. That's a good question. And I know many people are kind of concerned and and focused in on that for sure. So one last finding, Reed. Yeah. No one's loyal anymore. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at what people do, I think people get in the habit and they get comfortable with routine, right? Or at least I know that's true for me. So when you think about loyalty, you're going to the grocery store, you're buying the same thing over and over again for, for the most part. And that's just one example. But I think that what the pandemic has done as again, we talked about this in telemedicine, but forced people into either trying something new, having to source things differently, having to just simply do things differently. And so it's really kind of put to test things like brand loyalty. Is that really meaningful? Like what, what does that, what does that do? And I, and I think it is true. Like, I mean, there are certain things that certainly I'm very loyal to, you know, and you're going to find a way to, you know, then get those things, uh, in just a new delivery mechanism. This switch in loyalty, they call it brand switching doubled in 2020 compared to 2019. And mostly it happened with Gen Z and millennials. I knew it. Yeah, well, of course. It's always the millennials, right? <laughs> now, uh, really, what it, and we've, we've mentioned this before, convenience and value have been the main drivers of shopping behavioral change. But now it's about seeking brands that match with their values. It's about 40% of those younger customers. As we sit here in our industry and think about targeting those future healthcare consumers and building a relationship with them, they're now focusing on brands that match their values. I think of that having a significant change to the way we position ourselves, our health systems brands in this marketplace, because now it becomes very important, the role we play in our community and basically the values we emulate as an organization, not just convenience and value. Let's take a quick pause. Let's come back after break. We'll dig into a little bit about you know, what this means for healthcare hospitals specifically. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, 
Live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about how our lives have changed and kind of what that means long term. So let's look now. We'll kind of pivot to uh, another article here uh, from Forbes. It's time to build how hospitals can thrive as care goes digital. So, again, we've talked about a number of these things. You know, just kind of keep in mind as, as we kind of go through this that, you know, things aren't going to go back to normal, um, so to speak, or as they were before. Uh, there will be a new normal. Side note, also a good show on the Touchpoint Media Network, The New Normal. So <laughs> go check that out. Let's jump in here. They start talking about that there's emerging tech companies, and I would even say you know retail establishments that you know were kind of a novelty or they're just getting into healthcare, you know, that kind of thing. They're here to stay, especially the tech side as we think about how care delivery has changed and evolved and what the need is. They kind of frame this this perspective that they bring up in the article around basically the size of our health system organizations that are so big. One of the stats they pull out that was I found to be really fascinating here is that between 1975 and the mid-2000s, the total number of U.S. hospital beds decreased by more than one-third. It went from a peak of about 1.5 million to now we have a about just shy of a million U.S. hospital beds. If you think about that spread across, you know, what is it, 5,000 approximately hospitals, the health systems that we're dealing with are big, huge behemoth organizations that don't turn and pivot well. When you think about digital and, and, you know, how we could thrive to go digital, you always think about nimbleness and agility, and that doesn't fly in the face of what's real. Yeah, I think what's interesting too is like, you know, as I always were, you know, started working with hospitals and continue to work with hospitals, people would say, talk about licensed beds and you're like, yeah, but how many staffed beds? They were never the same. It's not like somebody was licensed for 250 beds and were staffing 250 beds. Never met a single one of those organizations. And I think what's interesting now is what they go into is that, um, you know, really what the pandemic has done is now triggered potentially another reduction. So again, mm-hmm. Moving away from in-person for CMS, Center for Medicare, Medicaid, uh, introduced a waiver just this past November to allow hospitals to bill the same amount of time for acute medical care delivered at a patient's home as they do, uh, as they would in their like physical facilities. If these laws stay, this could have a significant impact on how our care delivery is, is manned in the future. More and more organizations are starting to look at this at-home care that we've talked about, which does align to some of the consumer trends, particularly in the face of the fact that we have an aging population. 20% of all Americans are expected to be over 65 by 2030. Hang on. I'm doing math. How long is that from now? That's like nine years. I'll still be a little shy. (laughs) 
That's interesting though, right? It's because you know what what is that expectation going to be by the time I get to 65 relative to what my parents expect, you know, who are currently obviously over 65. The expectation I would assume is that uh, I don't I'm not coming to the hospital or hospitals are completely different. That's where they get into this idea of hospital at home. We're hearing that term more and more now. But there is an actual ROI for this now. You know, that mm-hmm. this is clearly something patients want. And we've seen this, I guess, in the palliative world uh, for some for some time, certainly. Hospice and palliative care kind of thing. But now it's just across the board. How do we, in this regard, start to shift ourselves to support that? This article highlights the fact that most health systems don't have the current infrastructure to support that. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it it's become very less reliant on geography, you know, and that's really the way Sands, the big the big brands, if you will, most of these hospitals are based on a geographic region. You know, they're pulling from an area, whether that's a town or community or counties and you know statewide, whatever. But now we're, we're you'd be much less reliant on that, and you know, potentially with the hospital and home piece. Through telemedicine and virtual care, uh, you could be "quote unquote," I guess, admitted anywhere. But yet, Amy, research shows that fifty-two percent of our of health system revenue comes from inpatient care. So again, I mean, that's the biggest challenge here, and and these new tech-enabled challengers that have come into the marketplace, they can stand up some of these virtual care solutions fast. They have low startup costs, unlike us, right? Where we we have to think about, okay, now we're going to have to shut down this uh, freestanding emergency department and then sell all of that equipment and then reinvest that yep. into, you know, for them, they could turn something on very quickly. And that's because they've been doing this in other industries for such a long time. You think about all the elements of a hospital stay and how does that work? So the chaplain, do they call on you virtually now? Do they come by and check on you virtually? I don't know. I'm, I'm seriously, I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, what are you missing out on by being solely in the virtual world? I think all this stuff will be solved over time. I just think it's it's interesting business opportunities. Certainly, the article kind of ends with pivoting towards like, so what do we do? Like, what does that look like? And they say, in the medium term, providers are going to have to move to this hub and spoke model. What they're going to have to do is partner with some of these organizations to provide these acute triage and virtual medical centers to solve that short term while they're looking how to internalize that work. Because quite frankly, we can't just, as much as we want to, we can't just build it ourselves. There are some great smart organizations out there. The recommendation they have in this article is to move to that. Obviously, that makes sense. You know, you bring all the super high acuity stuff in where you need it to be with the specialized care and technology and all that. And then certainly, yeah, there's lots of things that, you know, you probably just don't, you know, you don't have, it's not, it's not quite the same, right? You just don't have to be there for. So yeah, makes sense. I think one place read, and we can, this will be the last thing we'll touch in on before we go to the interview, but one place we really can stand to go virtual is the waiting room. Oh, don't you think? Yeah. Holy cow. (laughs) Any waiting room. I don't even care what we're talking about. Could be the bank, could be a uh, dentist's office, doctor's office, the car dealership, uh, you know, wherever. Just no waiting rooms. There's a great article on patient engagement, HIT, 
good website that we always go to, about virtual waiting rooms are the key for post-COVID-19 patient experience efforts. I would say it's a good key for any patient experience effort, but I think in the post-COVID world, it really makes sense. They have some interesting stats here, Reed. Let's see if they resonate with you. Nearly three quarters of patients say the traditional waiting room is a patient experience shortcoming. Yeah, you think? <laughs> you know what I want to do? I want to go sit in a room with no windows with a bunch of sick people. Like, that sounds exciting. That does sound awesome, doesn't it? They talked about virtual care options that expand beyond telehealth. And they did a survey of 2,400 people. 56% of those respondents said virtual waiting rooms are more efficient than traditional waiting. Yep, I agree. And 55% remarked that a virtual waiting room accomplished exactly what it set out to do, help those patients avoid sick people. Yeah, because, I mean, I know when I would take, you know, our kids, we'd go in for like some well check, you know, like it's their 18-month-old, you know, well check or two-year well check or whatever. I appreciate the fact that in the waiting room, they try to separate the like sick patients from the healthy patients. I'm just not sure this fish aquarium that's between these two sitting areas is doing a lot and all the magazines that everybody's touched. So like, you know, what does that do? So yeah, it makes total sense. And, you know, they went even further, right? They said it will help make people's lives easier because they didn't have to arrive early to their medical appointments. It's almost like just in time appointments, 53%. Another 53% said virtual waiting rooms limit the amount of paperwork they had to do because they could do it beforehand. I think all of these things kind of play into the fact that a virtual waiting room, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. And I think, yeah, we'll start seeing things like that, right? And so then it's like, what can you do while you're in the virtual waiting room? And where, you know, you start... Uh, with the efficiencies of all of this, I, I think is where this stuff will will really um, uh, kind of expand and become more meaningful. I think telehealth trumps all of that. If I can make a telehealth appointment, then I can just show up on my computer to my doctor. Mm-hmm. But I think it's some in some cases, this virtual rating room option is really a smart idea. But then when you just said things you could do while you're in the virtual waiting room, suddenly my mind flashed to... We're going to get YouTube-like ads while we're waiting on hold to get to talk to our doctor. Yeah, no, absolutely you are. Uh, about <laughs> the uh, the new development that's selling lots out by the lake. The new virtual digital signage solution, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, let's do this. We'll, we'll take a quick pause here, but we're going to jump to today's uh, conversation. I had a chance to sit down with two, not one, but two co-hosts of uh, the Morning Fix podcast here on uh, the Touchpoint Media Network. Uh, Amy Shepard and Julie Dye, they uh, are experts in the world of uh, medical device and talked a little bit about kind of what that's meant for that industry and kind of B2B and offline and online. So I just kind of thought of a, you know, a nice tie into what we're talking to today. Excited to have them on the show. Wanted to highlight them in their show uh, so we're going to take a quick pause here. You can actually even jump out and uh, to touchpoint.health and uh, subscribe to their show. But uh, we'll be right back after the break with uh, Amy and Julie. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Today, I am fortunate to be joined by a fellow Touchpoint Media hosts, hostesses, hosties, 
I don't know what the plural would be of female co-host of a show. But anyway, uh, Julie Dye and Amy Shepard, thanks for coming on for a few minutes. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So you guys uh, co-hosting one of our newer shows, The Morning Fix, maybe for those that have not heard the show, aren't familiar with a little bit of y'all's background, a little intro, and then um, a little bit about the show. So Amy, let's, let's start with you. Sure. So Amy Shepard, I am a consultant in the med tech space, uh, been in the medical device industry for uh, well over a decade. And last year, I reconnected with uh, Julie, um, a fabulous colleague of mine here in Austin. And we had this fantastic idea to create um, a podcast where we can speak with various thought leaders and business leaders to get their ideas on the state of medical technology marketing as it relates to PR and communications and really other issues and contemporary trends. And it's been great. Uh, We've loved working with your team, Reed, and we're pleased to have this opportunity. Awesome. Julie, what about you? Uh, Hi, I am also a medical device marketing consultant. I run Marketing DX and we help medical device companies reach physician and patient audiences. And I'm excited to tell you more about our podcast. You know, Amy and I found a niche. We realized that there were, there were several handful of uh, podcasters that were covering the medical device space, but they were covering it really from a high level, um, more about what's happening in the industry, financing, things like that, new products. But what we realized is there was a, an opportunity to talk more specifically about marketing and we could reach marketers and help them do their jobs better. And so ultimately, that's what why we started our podcast. That is awesome. So again, if if you're not familiar Touchpoint.health is the website. You can find out certainly more about these two and their show, The Morning Fix, there. Uh, But you can also track everybody down on LinkedIn and all that kind of fun stuff, which we'll post links to in the show notes. But be sure to jump over there and subscribe to The Morning Fix. So you mentioned med device sales outreach, that that kind of stuff. I think this this is something that's interesting to me. So I think Everybody is fairly familiar, I think, with the concept of being a pharmaceutical rep, right? I mean, it's a it's a sales role. You're calling on clients, in this case, physicians or physician offices, clinics, et cetera. Med device is a little bit different. I've had some friends that have done it through the years, like uh, especially in the ortho space, much more involved in patient care, I would say, and and maybe that's not, maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but much more involved uh, with the physician in the execution of a a partial knee or a hip replacement or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So I would assume there's been quite a change over the last year as we think about, I've got some friends just down the street that uh, one works for a lab company, one works uh, in pharma they obviously can't go in and see folks. What has what that done in the, in the med device space? Well, I would say it's completely 
turned everything upside down, you know, and initially when the pandemic started, we didn't know if medical device reps were ever going to be able to get back into the operating room. And that certainly has loosened up um, and they are starting to get back in there, um, you know, based, depending on where they're located and what the specific hospital requires. But it, it's really changed everything. Um, and I think it's made marketers and salespeople realize that, you know, we've got to do things differently. And even even when the pandemic is, quote, over, I believe that some of the, the learnings that have happened this year will continue on because it, it's just going to be the way of the world that we won't have as much access into these hospitals like we did prior to the pandemic. I have certainly seen a change from a marketing perspective. We've sp- spoken to so many guests and business leaders who have, you know, they set out their plans for 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 Q1 2020 and things were compl- like to Julie's point completely <laughs> turned upside down. Yeah. And they had to and we, we think about where we were a year ago or 12 13 months ago we were we were really in uh, in a tough space and they had to quickly pivot uh, change change course and figure out a way to remain profitable. It's been so interesting to hear some of the anecdotal comments and stories of the way the way they did it and also it wasn't just you know changing the business plan but how it affected their workforce and their sales force and their and their morale it's it's really been tremendous and so to julie's point i i don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was and i think it's in some ways it's been profoundly changed for the better and you know it'll be so so fascinating to see how things uh pan out over time so that that's an interesting point because I you know a lot of people listening to this show obviously are marketing communications professionals most commonly on the provider side of the equation so hospitals health systems even post acute care things like that but that doesn't mean that they're exempt from the idea of B2B conversations and communications right they're talking to referral sources they're doing recruiting they're, they're doing a lot of the same things and I think you guys are probably closer to that on a day-to-day basis because that's all you do, right? And kind of the med device and, and health tech space and things like that. So as we think about marketing and communications, what, what are some of those learnings that folks have realized or, you know, things that probably are going to stick around and maybe for the better as, as they look at what that sales or outreach cycle looks like? One of the things that I've seen more companies do during the pandemic is things like snail mail. So it feels like in a way we're going back to go to the future with, you know, very personal touch, very one-on-one communications, um, especially as people are getting tired of Zoom and, you know, being online. I think companies are looking at ways to surprise and delight their customers in a more personal way you know, touch approach in a way that they can do without having to sort of see them in person and take them to dinner, you know, through packages and through, um, again, through snail mail campaigns and things like that. I definitely think companies are looking at that, those options again, after we thought that direct mail was dead. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think I'm going to get into the promotional products space at this point, because I feel like that's what, <laughs> I think that's where we've got an opportunity now. Yeah, for sure. I would also say to that point, Reed, um, digital, digital, digital uh, is so interesting to see 
how many, and obviously we've interviewed a lot of guests that, that that's what they do. They create digital software products, but it's been fascinating to see how that's been ramped up and also their digital marketing efforts. Now, what will be interesting as we slowly come out of this COVID experience, obviously um, events are starting to open up. It, I think there will, prob- there will probably be some more in-person events coming up in the fall. And how will we meld that digital component with the in-person component? That's what I mean when I say things will probably never be the same. Creating an experience where both of those are present, that'll be, I think that'll be the future. So how should we be thinking about kind of the offline and online? Uh, Again, most people listening to this are marketing folks. So they're doing both. I mean, Chris and I obviously come from the digital world and that's kind of where we spend our time. But I, I do think there's something to uh, the awareness of some of the online advertising, the reinforcement of that in-person touch or direct mail or, or what have you. But where are you seeing people kind of focus and, and spending their money? Is that changing much in those outreach efforts? I have definitely seen companies pull almost completely back from uh, conferences, conferences and meetings and trade shows. Because what happened was, is when everything went online, I feel like most of the companies that were running these conferences didn't know what they were doing to take what was an in-person show and put it online, right? So it was that first maybe quarter or so when we were seeing all of those trade shows go online, companies just weren't seeing the ROI, you know, and I was working with several um, organizations that, you know, had really fairly robust trade show budgets and realized that when we went online, they just didn't get the same ROI because what would happen is if they were there, you know, they had a quote virtual booth. What we realized is people just weren't hanging out in the virtual trade show and booth area. They were going to hear the speakers and the presenters, but they weren't necessarily going to the booths. And so as a result, I saw sort of in the second half of the pandemic that, you know, a couple of my clients just said, you know what? It's not worth it. You know, the ROI is not there. And so, you know, I would say that that was one area where people were definitely pulling back significantly on their budgets. It's almost like a product placement in TV. Right. How do you prove the ROI on that, right? Yeah. And, and people quit watching commercials because of like the you know, advent of TiVo or whatever back in the day. So then they had to start putting products in the shows themselves, you know? And so I feel like we're kind of getting to that place with some of the trade shows, right? So it's like the expo floor, the exhibit hall or whatever uh, is great in person. And there's a lot of great ways and enticements to get people in there. Uh, but in a virtual sense, I don't know that that is harder. But now that's lo- loops back to your other earlier comment around the offline piece, right? So if you visit the booth, you know, what do we mail you instead of you know picking up the uh, stress ball in person? Do we send it to you? You know that kind of thing. But I don't know. I don't know if there's enough enticement there uh, to get people um, to a virtual booth. So that's that's interesting. It actually, to, to that point, I was. it made me think a little bit about other marketing efforts, and I just wanted to quickly add on, COVID has made content marketing, especially in our industry, which is highly regulated, They that has made uh, content so, 
so critical. Trying to find a way where you can't necessarily talk to your audience, but to reach your audience. You should see some of the some of our our guests' um, content campaigns on Twitter and on. Um, I've seen a couple on LinkedIn and Facebook are tremendous. COVID has initiated a sense of creativity that I've never seen in our industry. I think that's very compelling and very a very interesting trend. Yeah, so talk more about that. I, you know, because that's something obviously, uh, I guess, stretches into pharma as well. But the the regulatory piece of this was already something, right? That was uh, pretty highly, uh, you know, it was a consideration before COVID. H- has that changed? things? That's an interesting question from a, you know, marketing and content perspective. Um, You know, one of the things that I think we have seen more on the product development side is that the FDA has, you know, obviously because of the pandemic really sped things up. And so there are companies that are getting emergency use authorization, EUA, that would never probably have had that opportunity just, you know, two, three years ago. And so, you know, from a regulatory perspective, when we're talking about, you know, getting products on market, you know, I hope that, you know, the FDA will continue to be, you know, a little bit more forward thinking and a little bit more innovative in the way that they're allowing products to get on market. Again, it doesn't, talk directly to your marketing question, but I think it could be an interesting time in general for, you know, watching sort of what's happening from a regulatory perspective because of what we're seeing happen at the FDA. Interesting. Very interesting. I, this is just a fascinating space to me. It's not one that I know a ton about. I've done a little bit of work in kind of the med device space, but it's been some years. And so, where do we think this sticks? You know, we talked a little bit about the the offline uh, component to it, but if I'm a marketing director, I'm I'm working in in kind of the marketing communications department. What are some things that that I should maybe reconsider or consider uh, that maybe I've I've kind of shelved? We talked a little bit about B two B, which is primarily the space that Julie and I work in, but B two C, and did COVID. Because of this isolation and separation and the inability for sales reps to go into ORs and angio suites, it's almost made it, again, um, the ability to reach out to B2B and also to B2C through these various uh, uh, social media campaigns. I mean, everybody sees those. And I I think that's one impact that COVID has, has made. And it'll be interesting to see how it pans out over time. Companies are looking at that B2C opportunity, not only to help educate the patients and the caregivers, but it's really a value add that medical device companies can provide to their customers. If they can say, you know, we are going to help you educate your patients and educate your uh, caregivers in you know, that's sort of a value add activity that the device companies can offer, you know, as part of working with that company. So I think that, you know, companies are looking at that more, you know, there's certain areas of device marketing where, you know, ultimately the patient is never going to have a say in if they get a Boston Scientific stent or an Abbott stent, right? But there's other areas that are, there's only one device on the market that's like it, um, that's really changing that 
you know, standard of care. In that case, you know, there is a great opportunity for that consumer marketing. And I do think more companies are taking a look at that. Again, for those that are interested, I, I think uh, I certainly need to go out, subscribe to the show. You guys have had some great guests on over the last uh, six to nine months. And so I know you this summer will be kind of rounding the 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 fourth quarter, if you will, on uh, coming up on the one year anniversary. So I uh, would encourage everybody to go out, check out the show, The Morning Fix. You can find it over at touchpoint.health. Uh, certainly track down uh, Julie and Amy if you've got questions, thoughts, comments, uh, ideas for the show, guests they should interview, et cetera. And so you can obviously find them and links to them uh, over at the website as well. But certainly appreciate you all coming on and chatting for a few minutes and look forward to uh, having you back on in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Reed. All right. Special thanks to Amy and Julie for coming on the show. I uh, certainly appreciate their time, effort, energy, not only for coming on the show and talking to us and sharing all the great knowledge, but for doing a podcast. Uh, they are uh, been going for, hmm, I guess we'll be sneaking up on a year towards the end of the summer, something like that. And I've uh, been doing a great job. So they've got a lot of great folks and innovators, marketers uh, in the healthcare space as guests. So be sure to go check out their show, The Morning Fix. Again, touchpoint.health is where you can find out all about that. Also, while you're there, you can sign up for the TPS report. You can check out other shows on the network, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, But if you sign up for the TPS report, you'll get that weekly email with a few articles to kick off your week. You'll also get a kind of directory, if you will, of upcoming industry education, conferences, webinars, things like that. So be sure to uh, to sign up. All right, recommendations. Reed, I'm going to recommend a video game that I picked up this weekend. It's called Two Point Hospital. Oh, boy. So basically what it is, it's a Sims game where you build hospitals. Yes, a video game about building hospitals. That's right. Uh, I must be a nerd to be picking to pick this up, but it's it's actually a heck of a lot of fun. I play it on the Nintendo Switch, but it's available on all the major consoles. You can even download it or stream it online through like Steam or what have you. But basically, the premise is is you start with one hospital and you build out that hospital to serve that community's needs. It starts with a receptionist, and then you, you you add a general practitioner to start taking patients, and then inevitably you build a pharmacy within your hospital. You have to hire nurses. You have to hire janitors. You have to fire them if they're not doing a job. You have to create a little rest area for them because they don't have to work all this time. You start with one hospital, and as you build it out and serve different needs, you know how you get your rewards? You get star ratings. That's right. You oh, you no. work to get star ratings. <laughs> exactly. Does Jayco show up at any point during this game? <laughs> yes. Or, you actually oh, have no. you actually have people come and inspect your hospital and make sure that all the patients are being treated well. It's interesting because we're in the industry. I think it would be interesting to those of us in the industry that want to get a game that um, is kind of fun. It's like a Sims game, you know, like you build 
you know, you know, like a world or a roller coaster, or what have you. But this is for hospitals. The conditions they get are no, you know, they're they're just off off the wall conditions. Um, you know, one of them is lightheaded, and so the patients show up and they have a light bulb on their head mm-hmm. instead of their head, and then you put them into a treatment room, and then if they get cured, etc., uh, their their head goes back to normal. It's kind of fun. It's lighthearted. It certainly is not what it's like to be a hospital administrator, but it's designed to replicate it at some point. It's not that expensive to purchase, too. So if you want to have a fun little Sims game that you want to just try out, I'm going to strongly recommend it. Two-point hospital. I'm not going to say it won't irritate you or frustrate you. At times it does. Um, And it's particularly frustrating when, you know, you've accidentally, your patients accidentally die. That's not a good experience, but but that's not really the, the intent of the game. And I just love the reward system. You're going for the star ratings. So that's, that's my great. recommendation. Are you going to add that to your LinkedIn profile? It's your hospital administrator. Yeah. I'm a two-point hospital <laughs> administrator. <laughs> right. Nice. All right. I'm going to recommend something that is not very complex and pretty uh, pretty normal. Ginger ale. Oh. You should, you should keep it around the house. Get the little cans. Uh, you know, I just thought to myself, why, why do I have to be on an airplane to drink a ginger ale? Because that was like the only time I would ever drink ginger ale. It's kind of nice. It's a good substitute uh, if you're drinking a lot of water and you, you know, you're trying to stay away from, you know, some of the uh, soft drinks and things like that. It's, you know, it's not the greatest thing in the world for you, I guess, but uh, with sugar and whatnot. But you can get the little small cans, and it's, uh, I don't know, just feel a little more sophisticated, I guess, (laughs) than than a Sprite or something. Yeah, it seems like it's a higher level of. soda or cola or whatever you whatever you call it right yeah you're just like whoa you know he's drinking a ginger ale like like what does he know that i don't you know exactly uh, yeah yeah so get you a ginger ale <laughs> i love it all right well thanks for tuning in today thanks for uh, frequenting the show hopefully this is uh you know something that you listen to on a regular basis uh, we would love that if this is your first time thank you for uh, tuning in hopefully you'll be back uh, rate, review, subscribe, or if you happen to be listening or streaming, again, touchpoint.health is the website. Love to hear from you, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the usual platforms. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.